that are here, uh, you're dismissed. Miss Lauren, Brother Justin are at the back. You can go and meet them, and they will uh, take you and uh, teach you the word in a way that will be more uh, comprehensible for you. For those of you that are staying in here with us, if you would turn with me to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. Today we are beginning, as you notice, and I'm very thankful for those that uh, were able to come and, and willing to come and decorate the church this week. And, and so it helps us, I think, to get in the mindset that this is a Christmas morning. Of course, we sang some Christmas hymns and thankful for our praise team and instrumentalists that uh, lead us in that way each week. And so we're in the mindset of Christmas in some of those ways, but we're also going to begin looking at Christmas, a Christmas series, if you will, as we are in the Word together. And so this year, for the next few weeks between now and Christmas, we're going to look at four different Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled whenever He came. And so we're looking at promises from the Old Testament uh, things not, and I don't want you to think that sometimes we can we can almost have like a list in our mind. I'm going to I can name ten prophecies that Jesus fulfilled when he came, and that is wonderful. But I don't want this to be just a list. I want us to see these things the way that the people of the Old Testament saw them. These are promises that had been made that they were longing for, that they desperately wanted and that were then fulfilled when Jesus came. So these are things that we should be excited about, things that will that make us that much more thankful for Christmas, for Jesus' birth, for his life. And so we're going to begin toward the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3, I'm just going to give you the background for this text because many of you are familiar with it. And for time's sake, I'm just going to... So verses 1 through 7 of Genesis 3. This is what we often call the fall, the fall of man. This is uh, where the serpent, Satan, comes in the form of a serpent and he tempts Eve and Adam and they take of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil and they eat of it, right? This is the first sin. That's why we call it the fall of man. This is the first sin uh, that ever took place and when this sin occurred, there were terrible effects that came from it. There were terrible consequences, and not just for the immediate time, not just for Adam and Eve, but for all of creation ever since. This was like a domino that fell that has effects to today. Things that affect you and that affect me, things that we deal with day in and day out, come from the chain reaction of that very first sin. And so we deal with this, and we are longing for the day when all of these curses will be removed. But that's the background of this text. Why is it a big deal that they ate of the tree of knowledge and good and evil? Well, in Genesis 2.17, God said, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's a big deal, right? If you do that, not you'll be sent to your room, not you will be grounded, you shall surely die. It's a big deal. It's a big consequence, but it's not the only consequence. So look with me at the text, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to see in this text some of the other consequences that Adam and Eve dealt with and that you and I deal with from sin. Beginning in verse 7 of Genesis 3, this is after they had eaten it. It says, And the eyes of both were opened, 
and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Y'all would pray with me before we consider this text. Father God, you are so good to us. And you are gracious to us, even in the consequences of our sin. Father, there are things that we deal with that are the fallout of Adam and Eve's sin. And there are things that we deal with that are the fallout and consequences of our own personal sin. But Father, I pray this morning that we're reminded that you have sent the remedy for all of these consequences. That you have sent the antidote for the curse and that is your son Jesus Christ. Father, as we look at these consequences today, as we think about how much differently our lives look because of the wreckage of sin, Father, I pray that it makes us all the more thankful for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we see here, there are several consequences that are already. This is before the curses are pronounced, but it's clear that there are consequences already. The first one that we see here in verse 7 is that the relationship between Adam and Eve was changed, was broken, was different because of it. In verse 7 it said, After they eat, after they ate of the fruit, the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now that doesn't sound like a big deal, but it's a stark contrast from what we see earlier in Genesis whenever the two of them were given to each other in marriage and that they were naked and they were nude and they were okay with that. They were not worried about that. There was no shame in that. But now, because of the fallout of sin, they feel ashamed. They feel the need to, it, to hide part of themselves from one another. The need to be clothed. The need to make it so that they can't see all of each other. And we see that this relationship is changed forever. The relationship between man and woman. Something that was not a shameful thing has now become a shameful thing to them. And so they don't look at each other the same way anymore. And then in the next few verses, 8 through 10, I think we see one of the most massive travesties of the fallout of Genesis chapter 3 is that not only was their relationship with one another changed, but their relationship with God was changed. It appears that that before this, that, that this must have been a normal thing, Right, that God had come to spend time with them, that he had come in the garden to see them, that they would be in his presence physically, right, just in God's presence, spending time with him and talking to him. But now, all of a sudden, that doesn't feel natural anymore. What, what seems like it was probably a natural thing before this, that God would just come and talk to them and spend time with them. Now they hear God coming, and what do they do? They hide themselves from God because there is guilt Because there is shame, because there are consequences for their sin. Because of their sin, their relationship with one another is no longer the same. And because of their sin, their relationship with God is no longer the same. And so when they hear God coming, I want you to think for just a moment, not just physically but spiritually, what a travesty this is, that when God, their creator, 
who loved them eternally, who loved them as fully as anyone has ever loved anybody, came to spend time with them, they felt the need to run and hide, to not be in his presence. Why? Because God had changed? No. Because they had sinned. And because of their sin, they no longer felt comfortable in the presence of God. And sin does that. Sin wrecks our relationship with God, and it makes us no longer worthy to be in his presence. Point one this morning, Adam and Eve's sin brought about devastating consequences. Absolutely devastating consequences. And I also want you to hear this. Not only did Adam and Eve's sin bring about devastating consequences, but all sin brings about devastating consequences. Your sin brings about devastating consequences, and my sin brings about devastating consequences. Sometimes we really want to lay the burden of everything on Adam and Eve. Look what they did, but brothers and sisters, we can look at what we've done as well. You can look at the sins that you think are personal sins that you think don't matter to anybody else. This doesn't affect anyone else, but I'm telling you, there is no such thing as a sin that doesn't affect anyone else. We see that here. Adam ate of this fruit. Eve ate of this fruit, and it changed their relationship with one another, and it changed their relationship with God, and it changed all of creation. That's just a glimpse of the remi- a reminder to us that sin always carries consequences, and they are devastating consequences. So I want us to walk through here. There, there are some curses that are pronounced. There are some, some things that are given in response to this, other consequences that continue further. In the text, the consequences or the curse for the serpent comes first, but we're going to look at that last because in that we see the promised prophecy for today. So look with me. In verse 16, as we see the consequences for the woman, it says, This is God speaking to the woman. He said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And for time's sake, we're not going to to go fully into these, but we see clearly here for women that the pain and childbearing was greatly increased. I know any of you that have had children have obviously felt the effects of this sin. Obviously before, before this sin, childbearing, I don't know that it was painless, but it was not as painful as it is now. And there is also, we see this picture of this broken relationship between a husband and wife carrying on even further. We've already seen it in that they feel shame with one another, that there's a difference. But then we see here even more that, that the desire of the wife would be to rule over the husband, the rule of the the husband's desire that he would have would be to lord over his rule over his wife. And we just see the continual breaking down of that. And we've seen the consequences on that, of this sin on marriage ever since. But we see those consequences clearly laid out. We see also Adam's punishment in verse 17. And to Adam, he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you were dust, and to dust you shall return. And so again, we see here consequences that are far-reaching. Not only is this a big deal for Adam, right? Any of you that are farmers, any of you that are gardeners, 
Any of you that have to bush hog things, any of you that have ever been walking down a path in the woods and have been cut by a thorn, you have felt the effects of this. Right? He says that, that these things will happen. It's going to make it more difficult for you to produce food. And it's going to make more work for you, Adam. But not only that, but, but Paul alludes in Romans 8 to the fact that all of creation has felt the effects of this. That all of creation is groaning and longing and waiting for the day that this curse will be removed. Because that's exactly what it says in verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. The earth has changed because of the effects of sin. And these things, thorns and thistles, and these things come forth that apparently would not have come forth if it weren't for the sin of people. And so we see these effects are far-reaching. They're felt by everyone and everything, the effects of sin. And then, what I believe to be the direct response to chapter 2, verse 17, because some people read and they say, you know what? God said, whenever you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. But they ate of the fruit and they didn't drop dead. So what's the deal there? And I believe that we see the answer to that in verses 22 and 23. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So God drives them out of the garden and he puts the angel with the flaming sword to make sure that they don't come back. Why? Because they've been given a death sentence. It was the promise. If you eat of this fruit, there shall be a death sentence. It was not immediate, but it was certain. The penalty was clear. If they had not eaten of the fruit, they could have stayed in the garden. They could have eaten of the tree of life and lived forever. But because of sin, the death sentence came as well. And they were driven out of the garden and they were separated from the tree of life. As they were in some way separated from one another now by clothes as they were also separated from God physically, and all of these things come as the effect of sin. And now they know that maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but eventually they will certainly and surely die. And all of these things are the consequences of the sin that they, did, that they took part in. Point two, the consequences of sin reach every person and all of creation. I want us to see that because if we feel the weight of sin, if we feel the weight of these curses this morning, I think it makes us that much more thankful for the one that removes the curses. That's what we're looking forward to here. You say, Brother Zach, this is a very gloomy Christmas sermon. You are not making us very excited. But as we see the weight of sin and the effects of sin and the consequences of sin and how difficult they are and how far-reaching they are and how devastating they are, we're that much more thankful for the one who is going to come and offer to remove all of the curses. And that's the promise that we see in the curse given to the serpent. Look with me in... Verse 14, Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, 
and you shall bruise his heel. So there are two consequences here for the serpent. The first one is clear, right? His legs are taken away. That's a big deal, I imagine. I've never asked a, a snake before, does it bother you that you don't have legs? But I imagine that that's sort of bothersome. And yes, apparently snakes before this did have legs, but he took them away as a consequence, as a curse, because of his tempting Adam and Eve to eat of this fruit. But we also see here what, what really smart people, what scholars and theologians refer to as the proto-evangelum. It means the first gospel. And I truly believe that this prophecy of verse 15, Genesis 3.15, this close to the beginning of the Bible, we see the first promise of the coming Messiah. Not the first effect that will come from the Messiah. We've already seen those things. But I think we see the first promise that he is coming. It says, I will put enmity between you, serpent, Satan that is inhabiting the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. So there is coming here, and he's not called the Messiah at this point. He's not called the anointed one. He's not called Jesus. None of that is spelled out for us. As we go throughout the, New uh, throughout the Old Testament, we will see more and more promises. We will see names. We will see the Messiah called the Anointed One. It will start to become more and more clear what this Savior that's coming is going to look like. And then, of course, when we get to the New Testament, we see clearly that it's Jesus. But, but before all of that's spelled out, we see here this promise. Even while God is giving the curses and the consequences of sin, He says, But listen to me, Satan. There is coming one, and all he's called here is her offspring. The child of a woman is the only thing we're told, but we're told that one is coming who is going to strike the head of Satan. Yes, we see that Satan will strike the heel of Jesus, but we also see here that one is coming. And that's the promise here. That's what gets us excited. In the midst of all of these curses and all of these consequences and all of this devastation, there's a promise. One is coming. And the promise holds true. And we know that. But we see it even in Genesis 3.15. That one is coming. And not only will he strike the head of Satan, but we also see the promise as we go and as the picture becomes more clear that not only will he strike the head of Satan, but he will also remove all of the curses. The one that is coming, Jesus, that we see here, brothers and sisters, this is good news. This is where you start to smile instead of feeling gloomy, even on a rainy day. This is the hope that we have, that one day the curse breaker is coming. And that was the weight that the people of the Old Testament felt. It's why they looked forward to the Messiah coming. They didn't know all that we know but they knew this, that we are dealing with terrible circumstances. But one day, the anointed one is coming and he's going to make everything that's wrong, right. And so they longed for the day that the Messiah would come. They longed for the day that the anointed one would come. We see it with Simeon in the temple when he sees Jesus and he says, All my life I have waited for this and now I can die and go in peace because they just wanted to see the Messiah. They just wanted to see this promised one that was coming. They had hope in Jesus. 
And brothers and sisters, we should as well. This is why, this is good news. This is why Christmas is so exciting. It's not because there's really good music at Christmas. But there is really good music at Christmas. And it's not just because the decorations are pretty. And it's not just because we get presents. And it's not because we get a few weeks out of school. Although, students, that is nice, right? But that's not why we're excited. We're excited because Christmas is the celebration that the curse breaker came. That he left heaven and came here and has offered to remove all of these things that we have dealt with for so long. Jesus offers to take away the death penalty. Jesus is going to make all of creation the way that it should have been all along. We see that. We'll see that promise in just a few minutes. Jesus makes our relationships with one another right. He makes our relationship with God right. He takes away the separation between us and God. One day physically, but now spiritually. He takes away our shame and our guilt and makes us innocent and perfect. And it's a promise that we've heard for so long. But in Romans chapter 5, we see how this takes place. And if you'd like to turn there with me, you can. But in Romans chapter 5, there is a beautiful exposition that Paul gives. And I'm not going to read all of the text. I'm not going to fully expose it this morning for time's sake. But just listen to this truth beginning in verse 18. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. And this is talking about, right, Adam and Eve's sin. As one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Brothers and sisters, because Adam and Eve introduced sin into this world, sin has reigned in the curse. Sin has reigned and death has reigned in this world because of sin. But the promise is that Jesus came. And through Jesus, eternal life is offered to everyone that would respond in faith to him. So one man and one woman introduce sin to the entire world, and one man offers to remove the consequences of sin from the entire world. And so that is why we celebrate. That is why the Messiah is such an exciting person. That's why Jesus, who's the anointed one, who is God himself, who left heaven and came to earth, Right, God coming from heaven to here in human flesh and living a perfect life and dying a perfect death. It's what, it's what Paul is alluding to here. It's what Paul is teaching us here. That because Jesus lived a perfect life and died a perfect death, he offers righteousness to all sinners. He came and paid the penalty that you and I deserve to pay. He took the wrath of God for the sins, not that he committed, but for the sins that we have committed. And if you today would respond in faith to Jesus, if you would give your life to him, then all of the promises of the Messiah would be yours. All the promises of the coming one, 
right, of eternal life and of being made innocent and of having relationships restored and having uh, communion with God spiritually now and physically in the future, all of these things would be yours if you would respond in faith to Jesus Christ. It's the promise of the Scriptures. There's one last thing I want us to see, and it's in Revelation. Yes, we're going from Genesis to Revelation this morning. And in Revelation chapter 20, I do want you to see the promise, right? The promise of Genesis 3.15 is that the offspring of the woman would strike the head of Satan. And we see that fulfilled in Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 7. When the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, we see this truth here that hell, and I know because of cartoons we think of this way, but hell is not Satan's home. It's not his domain. It's not some place that he rules and tells people what to do. No, hell is a place that he will be tormented in a lake of fire and sulfur day and night forever and ever. The permanent blow is given from Christ to Satan. The promise of Genesis 3.15 is completely revealed in Revelation chapter 20. And so all sin will be done. It will be done forever. And the last thing I want you to see is in chapter 22. This goes full circle for me. As I thought about this text this week, we start in Genesis 2 with the promise, if you eat this fruit, you will surely die. And we see the proclamation. They eat the fruit and God says, now they will have to leave the garden and not be allowed to eat of the tree of life because if they ate of that tree, they would live forever. And so special provisions are made. They're driven out of the garden and a guard is set at the door of it and he has a flaming sword and it's, all these provisions are made so that the death sentence will be realized. You cannot, humans, eat of the tree of life. The only way that we can have eternal life is through Jesus Christ. But if we have eternal life through Jesus Christ, then one day, whenever all the curses are removed, this is what we have to look forward to. Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will, be, will there be anything accursed. You hear that? All the curse will be gone. There'll be no curses. There's no death sentence. There's the tree of life. Eat of it freely, as much as you want. All the curses are gone. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Amen? Brothers and sisters, that is good news. 
How is that made available? We've sinned. We've messed up. We've fallen. We've devastated our lives. These consequences are consequences that we deserve, not just because Adam and Eve sinned, but because you sinned. And because I sinned, we deserve the curse. How in the world could it be removed because God left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect life? And died a perfect death that he did not deserve. And took the penalty for our sins. So that when we respond in him, to him in faith. All those are removed. All the consequences are gone. We still deal with some of the effects and fallout of sin here. But brothers and sisters we are made righteous. Through Jesus. And one day we'll live in a place. Where there will be no curse anywhere to be found. So this morning. We're going to have a little bit of a different invitation. This morning we're going to sing, and it's not a typical invitation song, but this morning we're going to sing Joy to the World. Brother Zach, you can't sing Joy to the World for an invitation. Well, it may not be an invitation, but it's a response. No more let sin and sorrow reign, nor thorns infest the ground. We will sing that. What verse is that, Miss Diane? Will you look and see which verse? I think it's verse 3. No more let sin and sorrows reign, nor thorns infest the ground. I want us to sing that this morning as a reminder that, brothers and sisters, one day it's coming that all the curses are going to be gone. Not just the curse of death, but even the curse of thorns infesting the ground. So this morning, you may need to pray where you are as you realize that you have not had the sort of faith in Christ that you need, that you have been looking for everything else to make your life right, but now you are reminded that He is the only one that can make things right for you. Brothers, He's the only hope we have, and He's the only hope we need. So this morning, if you need to pray, then you pray. If you need to spend time with the Lord, you spend time with the Lord. But if not, I'm going to invite you to stand. And as we stand, let's sing joyfully and excited. Joy to the Lord.